Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Louise Valentine, physiologist, best-selling author, avid runner, and she was voted American College Sports Medicine Practitioner of the Year. She is also the CEO of Breaking Through Wellness. She does lots of one-on-one coaching. She has a badass Breakthrough Academy, and her main mission is basically to help women combine endurance training with strength training while achieving all their aesthetic goals while keeping hormones happy and healthy and so i know today's conversation is going to be packed with a lot of value welcome to the show louise thank you so much for having me appreciate it it's my absolute pleasure and uh, even though i've just introduced you a little bit on the show i would love for you to just um walk people through to how you got to this point and um, i read in your bio and heard that you your own struggles have led you to this point and i think often that makes the best coaches <laughs> so yes please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background yes well thank you Yes, you know, it's interesting. I started my career working for the NFL here in the United States as a sports massage therapist, but I always looked at athletes as a whole person. So dabbling into nutrition in my college career, looking at sports science, strength and conditioning, how do we put together all the pieces and parts to have an optimally healthy and high-performing athlete? So worked in high performance to start, but as a woman was struggling in my own hormonal health, I loved running, a very avid recreational runner, and started to take a step back and look at the approaches I was taking, even though they're, you know, quote, best practices, we were missing something. And I looked at my own hormonal health and was like, my running is contributing, I think, to some of these health consequences that I'm having, but I love it. So how the heck do I keep doing what I love joyfully at a high level, you know, running well, still hitting PRs as I continue to age. But as I got more and more health diagnoses, I really had to re-examine my approach to running. So now that's what I help women do. I stepped away from high performance sports, stepped away from some of the research that I was doing to go into one-on-one coaching and education, empowering women to work with their hormones and not against them, which is so easy to do when we're an endurance athlete. Awesome. Thank you for giving us a little bit of an insight into your own story. And uh, one thing that really I'm baffled about, and I I frankly thought was a typo when I read through your bio, was that you said you ran 74 half marathons, and some of which while you were pregnant. I was like, what? (laughs) How do you even fit that into your life? For the people listening, I mean, I don't know how old you are exactly, but you look like you are in your mid-30s or maybe early 30s. You're Yourself. So how do, how do I fit 74 half marathons in there? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So I, for context, have always been loving running and I, I was not never good at it. I was overweight. I was told I wasn't built to be a runner. So I've always had this mission to share that any woman can be a runner as long as she's consistent. So I went, I was last on my high school cross country team. I ended up qualifying for a competitive running team after having two kids. So came into, you know, 
just kind of consistency with training, doing all the right things nutritionally and strength training wise and getting stronger over the years. And it's funny, people look at me now and they're like, oh, you're just the, the poster child of health. And it's like, oh, no, I'm a woman struggling incredibly with my hormonal health. But I did, as part of this mission of showing what, what fierce female bodies can do, I did run one half marathon per week of pregnancy while pregnant. So that's where the 74 over the course of um, two pregnancies, I did run each week and, and was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was with doctor's permission. I collaborated with my provider team and it was beautiful to um, show up very strong and empowered for natural labor. I love it. Um, yeah. And one other thing, or I guess what, what, what brings me from this or brings you from this to teaching women um, how to combine recreational running with practicing hormonal health and aesthetic goals. I would love to hear some of the main, maybe mistakes that you see women make to begin with, and then transitioning into the main pillars or the main foundations that you try to teach and give your clients along the way in order to combine those two. Because yes, I, I, I have to admit, or many people listening to this will know that I personally am not a runner or any uh, endurance person. I just love my strength sport. Um, but uh, again, as I said, there, there are many people listening. A lot of our clients, they love endurance, the endurance aspects, particularly for mental health. I hear that over and over and I mean for me I get that from walking just my eight to ten thousand steps per day going on the meditational walks they give me a lot but I also I used to run uh, more so in my teens and early 20s and um, and so I understand that aspect of just it allowing to switch off switch, switch off completely to find that just the zone and and having joy in that so but anyway um yeah maybe if we can start with the main mistakes that you see people make yeah and I think what you said is so powerful because we have to recognize and I don't see many coaches physiologists others in the field just boldly saying that running works against women's physiology, especially age 35 and beyond when we see estrogen, progesterone decreasing, we are exacerbating that by running if we don't have the right approach. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of women who are very dedicated to their running. They love it. They're like me, they're stubborn. They don't want to give it up. And then also there is that mental health piece, the fact that Running is what reminds us that we're strong and capable. It helps us show up as a better mom, as a better wife. It reminds us to stay on track with our eating. And so to tell a runner to not run is devastating. It's a piece of our identity. So it's been this balancing act over the years of figuring out this less is more approach. So how can we still, even if we want to run a personal best, how do we do that? when we have these hormonal changes, when perimenopause sets in, which by the way, starts for most women around age 35, when we first start to see these hormonal changes. So I think it's recognizing first and foremost, perimenopause is starting a lot earlier than we think. We are we think of it as this menopausal mid fifties and no, it's starting now <laughs> in our mid thirties. I'm almost 40. I have, you know, lacked estrogen most of my life. So I had to deal with this much earlier. So looking at how do we still keep running a part of our life? We have to look at nutrition. We have to look at inflammation in our body, keeping it low. 
making healthy choices with foods, products we put on our skin, and overall stress management. So that, in, in, <laughs> combined with some great strength training, sport-specific, is this holistic approach that I'm empowering women with because you can't miss one of those pieces if you want to be a strong, lean, injury-free, and energized runner for the rest of your life. I, I like that. Holistic is the only way to be thinking about this. Unfortunately, often we don't. And um, what I often see with people is that um, they can't get out of the, I'm just going to go for a run and they run the same, let it be four or five miles, whatever, every single time in the same time, um, you know, two, three times per week or whatever. And they're like, oh, why am I not losing weight? Why am I feeling this and that way why is my body not shaping up so what I have observed a little bit is more that um that puts a lot of pressure on our joints and it our body adapts to it so quickly so from an energy expenditure point of view we're really not doing all that much anymore with you know a 45 minute run that we do the same thing every single time so I have and and I think that that's why um, then HIT has become so popular for a while because people transitioned into that. And then suddenly they saw quick results in, in the first instance, um, often burning out then after a little while or often having other hormonal issues after a little while because that was too stressful. But the first, you know, six, 12, whatever, maybe even 18 months, it felt like, oh, this is, this is it. Now I have found it. When neither of those camps are really that sustainable or is not bringing someone sustainably and healthily to their goal. Is that something that you have observed with people coming to you as well? 110%. And I'm so glad that you are recognizing this as well, because we see a lot of great female specific research showing that high intensity should be the switch from endurance, but we're still missing the point of the fact that both are stressful. Mm -hmm. and too much in the com combination of cardio plus strength. We need to be slow, controlled, and mindful in our strength to build muscle. And so that's where I do like talking to some of those common mistakes. The women trying to combine CrossFit with their love of running. My goodness, that's going to be hormone replacement therapy, perimenopause, hell, loss of libido. You are depressed and you have no idea why. Craving food, hungry all the time, can't sleep at night. And that is the state usually women are coming to me in. And the good news is, is doing something about it is so less stressful and complicated than you think. You can get a couple great specific strength and conditioning workouts. You know, we can even do it in the home. It works well, slow, controlled, low stress. You can still feel strong and powerful, but too much cardio. We've got to be very careful. And then combining strength and cardio also we can cross that stress tipping point way too quickly. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I would, I would actually love um, to talk about maybe two, two of those um, specific um, uh, client stereotypes that we probably, you and I both see on a regular basis. Maybe at first the person that's just doing those um, really casual, moderate intensity, if at all sort of runs always the same not seeing body composition changes, obviously, because that's all that they're doing, but doing maybe too much, having um, not losing the weight, having joint issues, et cetera, hormonal issues. 
And then on the other side, that person that is coming from that super high intensity, always doing too much, maybe six days per week, if not more of exercising and still not seeing the body composition changes that they want. Um, and uh, all these other symptoms, as you were saying, like the not sleeping, I think that's a huge one uh, where you wake up three, four times per night, or you wake up at 3am, you just can't go back to sleep. Um, would you be happy to talk about these two kind of mm, typical st stereotypes? Yes, absolutely. And I think the first one where we're seeing the slow, consistent running all of the time, you know, sort of your happy place, things that really impact that in the right direction of feeling more energized, starting to see improvements in hormonal health, energy, um, these other symptoms that we feel, simply adding in a little bit of speed work. Mm -hmm. So it can be as short as 30 second intervals at the end of a run. And I would encourage actually maybe a shorter run. We focus on quality versus mileage. And if you get a, you know, sort of emulating for those who understand metabolic conditioning, we have something we do at the end of a strength workout. We might get on a piece of cardio equipment and do some intervals for five to 10 minutes. And it gives us a great metabolic conditioning workout. We get that cardio afterburn. It's great for our metabolism. It doesn't drain the hormone tank. So with runners, not only does this make us a stronger, better runner when we add in some speed work, but it's also great for injury prevention. We switch up the stride a bit. So we see, hey, you're not always running in the same exact form, pounding the same exact joints. So that is a super quick way and a quick win where not only do you feel better, but you start to look better and you're running better. Awesome. I think that's a really good first pointer to just switch up the the type of rain, the running style. And I, as I was saying, I, I used to run like way back, <laughs> probably like 10, 15 years ago. And I've run like two half marathons in my time and both of which um, I trained for, not saying like I was a good runner, but I did enjoy it at the time. And both of which uh, I trained for with quote unquote only three days of run some sort of running per week and um in between that i would still do like maybe like a body weight workout or like a yoga class kind of um and actually out of those three days one was yes increasing the mileage a little bit week per week um the other run was kind of intervals was more like was actually like i think the whole session all in all took like 20 maybe 30 minutes but it was more like okay go as fast as you can and then walk and then you know and then the other one was a little bit varied in the sense of like yeah is it called park lake or whatever where you like also like you go like three minutes and then a bit slower or like some sort of variations it might have also been a set um uh duration or like let's say five miles and then go as fast as you can but for that for that type and i actually really enjoyed that and i was able to complete both um half marathons um without any pain, without any injuries, feeling good at the end of it. And at first, when I when I looked at it, I was like, that can't be enough. Only like two and a half sort of running sessions per week. And yet I'm supposed to get be able to get a time of below an hour and 45 or whatever. How would that work? Um, and, 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 and it worked. But before that, I always just thought, all I have to do in order to be able to long run, uh, to, to run long, um, would be to go for these really long runs. <laughs> um, I, it, and you mentioned a, the reason I'm saying this is you mentioned a less is more approach. So I would love to know 
for that person that does truly love the running and wants to participate in certain races, maybe 10K, maybe half marathon, whatever it might be. Um, what's your kind of like minimum or how with how many days per week of running um, would you say someone can get away with if they want to do as little as possible or as much as possible? Like what's your take on this? I am always fascinated at how little we have to run to do well. And especially as we age, it's this superpower. If we can cut back on our mileage, but focus on quality, focus on, you know, if we have a specific goal piece, let's focus on making that tempo intuitive. So you know what it feels like. Say you want to run 735 splits for your marathon. Let's do some workouts where you know exactly what 735 feels like. I have coached women up to 200 mile races myself. I do ultra running as well. And when we have the right strength work, first and foremost, as that healthy, resilient foundation that will keep our muscles strong and injury free. So mm -hmm. I always tell runners, your strength training is actually more important than your running because otherwise you're going to end up bloated, burned out and broken. <laughs> like we need to be good with our strength training. So we keep that really simple in my program. But I would say, you know, honestly, when I look at marathon training plans, most of my runners aren't really running over 16 miles if they need to for mental, like they just need the mindset piece. They might run a 20 miler, but we are not running over 20 before we get to that marathon. There's no reason to, you will be burned out. You will not run a PR and it'll feel like junk. So we really don't want to do that. As an example for my 50 K in the mountains of Colorado here at elevation, the most I ran, this is probably going to blow your mind, was eight miles at a time. Wow. So for context, I was nursing a little bit of patellar tendinitis, but it was like this great experiment with my own body where I was running about three days per week. I, I had run a couple 10 milers, like maybe three months out from the race. But when the patellar tendinitis set in, it was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the race day. I have to focus on rehabbing this injury first and foremost. And lo and behold, race day came, you know, I, I have a strong endurance background to begin with. And I think as for runners, we tend to forget that we're good at mm -hmm. endurance. Our body knows what to do. So yes, mm -hmm. more. and I, I keep blowing my own mind when I see things like running eight miles and then being able to do over 30 at elevation. That's, that's incredible. Like you said, this was going to blow my mind and it really did like, cause I, I thought you were going to say like 20 or 25 since you staged it that way but eight is truly incredible um yeah so now let's go on to that second uh person that we were saying who's kind of from more more of a high intensity like that go 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 person that just cannot sit still that's like basically from i don't know 5 a.m until 9 p.m at least always always on the go and uh feels like they're loving whatever class they might be doing maybe crossfit maybe it's at 45 maybe they're just doing their own high intensity workouts or whatever how do you approach that if someone comes to you like that probably with messed up hormones with messed up sleep what's your first go yes so first and foremost we talk stress management and we talk um, nutrition so i do gently nudge towards my i have um, like four or five different strength workouts in my program and when they are very set on CrossFit or they're very set on Orange Theory or their best friend's boot camp, I gently nudge in the right direction 
And I say the comprehensive and best approach would be pairing our nutrition approach with our strength training. Mm -hmm. These are the way that I get the incredible results that you see on my website. <laughs> I can't guarantee your results if you continue to train the, the way that you are. And I educate around this idea of cortisol overload and, you know, looking at if maybe if they're coming from super low calorie or fasted training, and we're just, it's sort of like going through line by line, their food log and saying, this is why you're feeling these symptoms. These are things you can do when they're feeling better, but they're still not seeing body composition changes two months later. It's sort of like, okay, the next step is doing the right type of strength training. Mm -hmm. and cutting back some cardio and keeping stress a little lower. Lo and behold, they come back like two or three weeks later and they're like, and now I see changes in my body. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. Yes. I have to be gentle though, because it's, it's a fine line between hating me as a coach. <laughs> oh, I can absolutely understand. So I have a CrossFit background. I stopped doing CrossFit five, six years ago and more forced through injury, but I will have to say, at first, I hated regular strength training. I thought it was the most boring thing you could do. Just go into the gym. You have you don't have the community. You don't have anyone cheering you on. You don't have time pressure. You don't have, you know, nothing like that. You're just there on your own doing your sets. You're just, you're finishing your workouts and you're not feeling exhausted. That was the weirdest thing for me. It was like, did I even do anything? This is not doing anything. I can't feel anything. And now when I talk to my clients or other people about this and I'm like, that's a good thing. <laughs> You shouldn't feel completely exhausted after every single workout. That's that should not be the goal. That's not when you're shaping slash building your body, right? Just because you have that adrenaline release at the end of your workout and you can see sweat drops, it doesn't mean that you got the right physiological response that we're looking for. And that's so hard to disconnect though, because you're like, but it felt so good. How can it be bad for me? <laughs> that's that's really what I think is very difficult for people to to feel and to understand because immediately we we all know what it feels like after a quote unquote good workout and you're just like oh this was so yeah I, I I did it I overcame whatever um so I totally get it when people are at first resistant towards trying those more boring strength training workouts and but I like what you said in the sense of just you know, doing it slowly, starting with one thing, as opposed to right away telling someone, hey, everything that you're doing is crap, your nutrition, your stress management, your they're going to be out of the door within, you know, a week or two, <laughs> if yeah. they even sign up. Um, and we all have our personal preferences, we all have our histories with training with nutrition. So you mentioned with this particular client that they tend to often undereat, And I, I, I completely agree. I think with the first stereotype, or, or client example that we gave there. Um, it's more common that they probably underestimate how much they eat sometimes or they overestimate how much they, they burn with their 30, 40 minute run. Um, and then they out eat that or they have a really high calorie weekend. I think that's more typical in that stereotype. But with that second person, I do think that often it's more either they're like really clean eating focused and oh this is good this is bad and then over restricting punishing themselves for certain things or they're just constantly at low low calories um maybe you can explain to us a little bit why that is so um, i don't want to say dangerous because that makes it sound permanent but why that is so bad especially 
at, during perimenopause and um, for a prolonged period of time? Like what happens to our body when, when we constantly under eat? Yes. Well, we, we have the cortisol overload a lot of times, which tends to be paired with a lot of blood sugar dysregulation. So overall, we're just not feeling well. And all of these perimenopausal symptoms, you have a lot of clients coming to me ready to have a hysterectomy, ready mm -hmm. to have ablation, ready to go on hormone replacement therapy, and they don't know what to do. And they're restricting food. Maybe they tried keto, low carb, any sort of diet plan that claimed to help them optimize their hormones. And what we need to do first is simply eat fresh whole food. Most of the time, are you getting fruits, vegetables, fiber? You know, that is incredibly powerful, making sure we're not eating a lot of naked carbs or carbs without a prepared, without a protein or a fat, keep blood sugar regulated, inflammation low, eat whole foods most of the time. And I help with having like a food list, but it's not a restrictive thing. It's just, if we're going to choose best choices for protein, carbs, fats, veggies, fruits, what would they be? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we're just taking a step back, simplifying it. But going through a food log paired with their symptoms, after 20 years in the industry, it's pretty easy to point back educationally and say, so you felt cravings here after dinner, despite eating this large dinner, but the reason why you felt ravenous, the reason why your blood sugar fell and you craved things all night, like sweets, you're sitting there blaming yourself, but you just underfueled simply in the morning. Mm -hmm. So nourish the hormones in the morning. Our body needs to make them to have an energized day. So let's not start at that hormonal deficit because all we're going to do is continue to see a need for perimenopausal support. Our life is going to fall apart in front of our eyes, which I know it sounds dramatic, but I see marriages being impacted, libido, oh. self-worth, weight. It feels terrible. And mm -hmm. there's not, I don't think there's enough people talking about it, to be honest. 100% and uh, not well I mean that's that's already enough but I think um on top of that like men mental just mental health issues in general that are obviously linked with that where everything is linked together the the poor blood sugar regulation the failed marriage the um everything else it's it just all I often hear during that time I don't feel like myself anymore that like I'm I'm I, I don't know what's happening. The things that have worked aren't working anymore. I don't feel like my, like I wake up and my, I'm normally a happy person, but I'm, I just like, I don't have any drive anymore. And I think that that a lot of it uh, is being, or we can connect a little bit with, with the blood sugar regulation as well. So I, I love that you mentioned that. And I think um, another thing that often uh, springs out or kind of comes up at the same time is even more um, digestive issues. So that that second stereotype that we're talking about, more often than not, I think they are constipated. Maybe they go to the bathroom like every two, three days, but a teeny tiny little bit. Sometimes they're really bloated, whatever. And I think it all plays together. Either they're like way overeating raw vegetables. So again, because they're afraid of like actual carbs and uh, whatever. So they have these huge salad bowls and then they're wondering why they can never go to the bathroom properly. Or as you mentioned, also, if they come more from like a keto type place and they're not, not getting enough of the fiber, then they're also not showing their liver any love, etc. So it's, it's such a fine, tough place. Um, and yeah, but I think you're, you're absolutely addressing it at the 
right point in the beginning when it comes to the blood sugar and just going back to quality without fear mongering and saying you can never have anything else um yeah i think that's that's a really good f first step with the other type of client that might overestimate their energy expenditure from exercise and might underestimate how much they're actually eating um how do you approach that yeah and again i think it for me, the reason why I like one-on-one -on -one coaching is because everything is so bio-individual. Mm -hmm. like you can look and see a runner who's able to crush 50Ks like, you know, multiple times per month. She's living her best life. She doesn't need hormone replacement therapy. She's fit. She's lean. Why can she do that? And then mm -hmm. another woman who's trying her darndest is struggling with injury, gaining belly fat, feels burned out, running feels like you're running through molasses. And so really it comes down to looking at their health history, looking at how they're fueling around workouts. Uh, there's so many different pieces and parts. So I really think that holistically, the things that I'm doing with each client are helping them to learn how to nourish their hormones with whole foods. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a big mistake I see is supplementation through the roof. Like even these protein shakes that claim to have 7,000 superfoods. No, let's just eat some superfoods. <laughs> First and foremost, let's all the supplements in the world, even though they claim to be so wonderful, most of the time are not, but we add in a couple when we need them, looking at lowering inflammation in the body, looking at stress management holistically, um, and exposure to different gut health harming and hormone harming ingredients and chemicals. So what are those that we should try to avoid most of the time? Looking at those pieces for both of those types of individuals where you're super high performing and crushing it, or you're really struggling, but you want to get to that point where you feel your best. Awesome. I, I think, uh, yeah, one of the best signs for a good coach is usually that they say it depends or that's really up to, you know, what the individual situation is. And you just did exactly that. So I, I love it. I would love to know because you mentioned, um, you know, harming us more in certain instances with certain things. Um, that's not directly related to that. But uh, often we hear one thing I also actually say is that particularly during perimenopause and menopause, unfortunately, our body, from what I know, just doesn't um, process alcohol as well as it used to. So while I'm definitely someone who likes to practice and preach moderation with most things, if people come to me in such a compromised state already, I like to say one of the best and most helpful things you can do is really limit, if not cut out your alcohol during this time. And people hate hearing that, <laughs> but I don't know what your take is on that. I think that sometimes it can be too black and white. And again, like you said, of course, there is individuality to that too. Like how much is that person really drinking? Are we talking about a drink every three months or are we talking about two, three times per week, two, three glasses? Um, of course that depends too but is would you agree with that approach or what's your approach when it comes to alcohol yes so i really try to encourage my clients to purposefully plan their splurges so whether it's you love eating cake you love a big plate of nachos you love a big juicy burger and fries from fast food or alcohol really looking at being mindful around these choices and then also being aware of the impact that it has. So for some individuals, you might be able to get away with two glasses of wine once a week, 
and still see body composition changes. But a lot of times I will see women being incredibly diligent with the things that I coach to, and we're still not seeing quite the results that they'd like. We take out the alcohol. Oh my gosh. It's you're like a lean, mean machine. And it is so frustrating because we love it. But with phase one and phase two, liver detoxification slowing down as we age, it's just a biological process that's happening. And unfortunately, some people feel it in their early thirties. Some people get to their fifties and they're like, I can't even have a single glass of wine. I have hot flashes all night. The belly fat keeps coming on. And so I see it vary to tolerances, but most of the time when we're really in like a lean out phase, you really want to get all in and see some great body composition changes. Yeah. It's, it is so good to do it once per week. If that, which mm-hmm. is so hard because I love my beer. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would feel like the bad guys saying that. And I guess it kind of am, but at the same time, it's like, uh, yeah, what, what do you, what would you, what do we want? What's the main priority? And of course, um, the, the harmful impact is just the one thing, but at the same time, also let's say if it's three glasses in one evening, that might be, I don't know, four, 500 calories or whatever, depending on what you're drinking. If someone's on a low calorie budget um, to lose weight in that particular time, especially if we're small females to begin with, and we might not have a huge activity level from work, et cetera, um, that, that might be like a third of your calorie allowance for the day that uh, calories that are basically empty for your body that's not going to use to make you get you ready for your next run that's not going to be used to help your muscles grow or like any your cognitive function on the contrary so so it's not just the harmful effects also like taking that away from what good we could do to the body that's how I sometimes prefer to tell people about it because if you're just like oh this is bad it's poison you know this it makes it sound terrible terrible and we're like oh it tastes so good how could that be (laughs) so The one thing I think is a huge aha for a lot of women I coach is this idea of like a glass or two with dinner. And we know, well, I'm just having one glass with dinner, not a big deal. Unfortunately, I think the big aha moment that I see with clients is educating to what's happening in the body. So physiologically, your body, when you have alcohol with dinner, will prioritize detoxification of alcohol. So we're eating this beautiful, nutritious meal doing our best to eat right. Maybe we have lots of veggies, lean protein, carbs, super fuel, and our body's not going to digest it the way it should. In fact, with alcohol changing our body from um, alkaline to acidic, it's a fat storing state. So we might actually take that meal and our body's more prone to store it as body fat, in addition to not digesting the nutrition that your body needs to succeed, to feel good. So it is so eye-opening when I share that they're like oh because it's like why are we having one glass with dinner like I'd rather have you have two glasses for enjoyment with your husband on a Friday than four different glasses once per week that's not doing body composition or goals any justice (laughs) absolutely agreed I think I I I would love to highlight that and throughout this whole podcast I think most people really are not aware of that and so thank you for sharing that with us Um, and I'd I'd love to know in your breakthrough badass breakthrough academy and so I assume it's more of a like 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 a group model type thing where people have access to your training program or your training approach and if 
someone is just like, um, okay, I, I like running. I want to see body composition changes. Um, I want to lose some belly fat. Obviously, I do have some hormonal issues. I'm going to join this, this group. Um, in terms of training layout, what can we expect if we're saying, hey, I've got five hours per week, like an hour max each time? Um, how, how would you spread that out in terms of running versus strength? What kind of running, what kind of strength are we talking about? Yeah. So everything is customized. It's actually um, a oh, course cool. with one-on-one coaching and some group calls as well. Oh, amazing. Okay, cool. So I do really do think I tried the group model and the personalization one-on-one is really where my heart's at because no one ever took the time with me when I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, that like specific to my goals, my body's needs, my lifestyle. So that's what I really mm-hmm. empower women with there. So to that point, is there priority to PR race? or is it to see body composition goals? So we do define the number one priority goal, which I think is the first thing. No, I I love it, absolutely. I would always love to do the same thing. And we don't, we don't have a group coaching model either. It's just one-on-one. So I, I love that you mentioned that, but um, not that there's anything wrong it, when it comes to training in particular, I think sometimes we can get away with a little bit more, um, you know, following someone, someone's program that might not be a hundred percent tailored towards us. But, but again, if we're talking about perimenopause, menopause, we're always going to optimize things if it's a hundred percent tailored to you. So let's assume this person wants to really see body composition changes and um, what would be most likely a, kind of a recommended approach? I would be bluntly honest and say, I would recommend off cycling for marathons. Let's maybe do a half marathon at most. If we truly want to maximize body composition, we would look at strength training, probably three days per week, running three days per week. If they have six days to give, um, a lot of times too, like my upper body routines, about 20 minutes, really maximized sports specific um, science-based so we can really give it our all for 20 minutes and then maybe have a run on that same day. So a lot of times we could do like a strength and run day, um, but really keeping the strength training to like 30 minutes or less and then running, looking at that specific either time goal or how are we going to fit this into you can still get that mental health boost, but not cross that stress to being point to the point where we're not seeing the body composition changes. Awesome. Um, and when it comes to the exercise selection, so you mentioned, uh, let's, let's assume we're going with these three strength training days per week. Would they, would they each be full body um, days in in those scenarios? Um, or would you do like upper two upper and just one lower? Or so since you're running more, or I, that's often a question that, that I get, I guess. Yeah. The format that I found is most realistic for the busy everyday woman runner is we have an upper body routine and a lower body routine. So we'll rotate. So say one week we'll do upper, lower, upper the -hmm. next week we would do lower, upper, lower. So you're adjusting between the two for those who are a little bit more advanced. They have that strong foundation, their muscles, like the neuromuscular connections to really lift well um, and have good form. We do have an advanced strength and conditioning workout, which combines upper and lower body and is a little bit more like plyometric based running form, uh, maybe some clean and presses with some kettlebells some swings, things like that. So a little bit more power as well as bodybuilding hybrid. 
Awesome. I think often when people start off or get more into strength training, even though they were resistant at first, um, it often doesn't take that long, maybe three, four months before they start um, really enjoying it, actually, because they're like, oh, wow, I can do two push-ups of my toes now were as I never was able to do that or I can see a little bit definition in my arms and that's that's really motivating because often I feel like the thing with strength training is that you, you don't get that not always anyway that immediate um gratification that we we're talking about earlier or that you might feel after after run where you're just like oh that was so good or I was faster than blah 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 it's not as rewarding saying okay I did 11 repetitions instead of 10 today yay <laughs> So, yeah, um, I, I have another question when it comes to the training. I'm not as much in the running space, obviously, as, as, as you. Um, and But still, what I have often found is that um, runners, they tend to just play, train in, in one plane, sort of like that forward um, motion. So I have often found it very, very helpful or almost crucial to incorporate more lateral things into their training, like lateral step-ups or Cossack lunges or that kind of thing, just to strengthen that whole hip girdle and also like really opening up the front of the the, the hip flexors, etc. especially if we're sitting. Um, is that, and, and then of course we're talking, you know, thoracic spine often forward around it. So things for upper, body posture also really important is that something that you see with people that come to you as well absolutely yes i actually have a um, on my website a free injury prevention course for runners and i talked to that exact thing that idea that it's actually what we're doing during our day that's mm -hmm. leading to injuries with mm -hmm. the upper cross syndrome as you described with shoulders rolled forward hip flexors way too tight we see some runner in her twenties on Instagram doing all these squat variations and like terrible, like static planks. And we think, oh, this is the key to success. And it's the opposite of what we should be doing. You know, looking at that backside of our body, strong hamstrings, glutes, as you mentioned, some of that transverse plane or rotational force, things like that. We're doing a plank, we're adding movement single leg stance, things like that, that translate to running, that help us to run up hills, to help us to prevent IT band syndrome, um, things like the mummy tummy where we have the pooch look, we will contribute to that and worsen it if we continue to train the wrong way. So I see a lot of um, physiological as well as physique things that are just really annoying women because they're like, I'm tight. I'm injured and I have belly fat and this pooch and how do I correct it? Like, well, we need to strength training just a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's such a good point. And often people just think like, oh, I'm going to do more sit-ups to get rid of that pooch. Well, it might, no, it might, it might help like a tiny bit, but no, <laughs> not really the best way. Um, awesome. Before we uh, round things off, I have one more question, which um, I think a lot of people more in the running space are, are interested in. Um, carb cycling when it comes to running. So uh, I think that's a, something, I don't want to say a classical thought, but often people think, oh, today I ran, should I have more carbs? Should I have less carbs? Should I have more calories overall? Should I, or should I keep my calories the same, but just undulate the, the carbs in the terms of classical carb cycling? What's your advice or take on this? Or do you um, advise people to do that more intuitively? So I think that that kind of plays into this idea that, yes, there are certain scientific studies that show carb cycling to be beneficial. In the past, as someone who's always 
worked in research, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to be an N of one and try this on myself. I'm going to try carb cycling. I'm going to train high, you know, train low, all of these things that you hear car, take the carbs out. Can you run on body? Like it's, it's the wild, wild west, and it can get so complicated. So I think the thing that I help women do is just take that step back. What can you do to keep it simple? So you can be consistent every single day. That consistency holistically is your superpower. Life is easier. You look good. You feel good. You run good. So taking a step back out of those weeds and this idea of optimization to first get the foundation first and foremost. So that let's eat carbs every day. Let's eat them with every meal. Where I see it changed the game a little bit with perimenopause and menopause is having less carbs at dinner potentially. So with a higher carb meal, it's going to lead to, you know, that insulin spike um, or the blood sugar spike, blood sugar crash leads to poor sleep, cortisol, wake up at 3 p.m., mind racing, why do I have hot flashes? So that would be the thing I would say, I look more at the, the stage of life and I'm coaching women 35 and over. So we might have less carbs at dinner compared to our other meals, with the exception being you have a race or a long run the next day. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, I, I love your individual approach. There is exactly as you said, like if it's race the next day, or even if people were to train fasted in the morning, then sometimes you know you still want to really make sure that they're they're having at least some carbs in their dinner. Or if it if dinner is their post workout meal, of course we kind of want to replenish carbs there. But yeah, I I love how you're just like, hey, let's bring it back to basics because um I I do think people often. And I mean, fairly so because, or or it's um, it's only natural because we hear certain things online, et cetera. Um, but but we really want to make sure first we're hitting those calories overall. We're eating enough overall, and then worrying about the fine tuning cal- calories, and then also making sure protein and fiber, and then the carbs a little bit later. Um, so yeah, absolutely agree with you on that from. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Louise, for your time overall. I will point everybody um, in the show notes, etc., towards your social media. I think you're most active on Instagram as well, but you have a beautiful website. Is it the uh, breaking uh, breakthrough breakingthroughwellness.com? Is that the website? Yeah, and uh, your Instagram handle is um, is the same. Yes. Uh, Mm-hmm. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I would highly recommend everybody go and check out that in, in free injury prevention guide on, on your website when it comes to the training. Um, do you have any last couple of advice or takeaways for people listening that you would like to share? I mean, you've already shared so, so much, but maybe just yet yeah, too that that those two stereotypes that we were talking about in terms of clients or, or people that love running or high intensity exercise, um, what would you like to give them uh, away? <laughs> yes. So I would just say to my fellow recreational women runners out there, it is okay to idolize the pros and look at these you know, pro running coaches and think that they are awesome and support them. But when it comes to your own body, I highly recommend that we take a step back. We rethink women's running and we look to protect our energy hormones first and foremost, gut health, have that healthy foundation and you will run strong for life, but there's a lot of working pieces. So keeping it simple and consistent is going to be your superpower. Awesome. Thank you so much, Louise. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, 
or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.